Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. We are going to continue on in our sermon series that we are in right now that is called Cornerstone. Now, if you've been around for a while, you know we're spending a large part of this calendar year in the Gospel of Luke, and uh, that's really important. And you'll know throughout this sermon series as well, we long to be rooting what we are doing, what we are learning in the ways and the words of Jesus. But we're taking this pause because we wanted to just remember as we, as we try to do all that we do, community nights, spring fling, uh, gospel community gatherings, all that we do, we really do mean it that we want to keep Jesus at the center of all we do and have him be our cornerstone as scripture says. And so in order to do this, we're using some of our language here at Missio Day Wrigleyville. We're talking about our vision, that's our identity, our mission, what we do. And then we'll talk through some of our values. But I said this last week, you may notice this is Missio Day language, but you guys, it's not about this church. We're just using our language as a springboard to remind all of us what it means to be the capital C church together. When we read the Nicene Creed throughout this series, we did the baby dedication today, or child dedication today, we didn't read the creed, but remember that the the declaration of our faith, our theology is rooted in these these declarations about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that were decided and, and articulated from the early church. Within that creed, they talk about the Catholic church, lowercase c. In this context, that means the universal church, regardless of denomination. This is who we are and what we do together across churches is so important because this is what it means to be the body of Christ, the, the bride of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. All of us, regardless of our worship styles, whether or not we are allowed to drink uh, coffee during service, which here you are, um, but like regardless of how, what your denomination is, which uh, translation of the Bible you use, any of it, what does it mean to be the church uh, with Jesus as our cornerstone? So we, um, we're using our own language, but this is, this is way beyond us. This is, uh, regardless of how church articulates, churches individually articulate this. This is sort of a, a, a centering reminder for us as the people of God. Last week, I did my paraphrase of a section uh, by Beth Felker Jones about the importance of what church is. My paraphrase is, do not give up on the living witness of the holy broken church. Without it, that witness, how can we testify to God's grace? But that was my messy paraphrase. This week, I actually found her real words, and I love it. And this is just a reminder, guys, because the vision of who we are as church is so important to God's plan and God's presence in our world today. Our world is hungry for a better, different story. And the God's plan is that that would come through the church. Here's how Beth Felker Jones says it. We're called to love the church, to be the church, even in the midst of difficulty, even when its proper marks are very hard to see because God has chosen to work in the world through the broken and holy reality of the church because the work of the church is God's work. It cannot be overthrown by human error. We cannot, even in the midst of brokenness, give up on the visible church. That's the expression that we are in our life together. Without honesty about our brokenness, our witness to grace is impossible. 
And so I say this because I feel that like a lot of us through the course of our lives, through the course of different life stages, we come to have questions about God. And that's okay. Church is a wonderful place to talk through questions about God. We also see messy stuff in the news about churches. And that's okay too, because what is important is that you are part together of a community, wherever that is, that's doing their best to live into that life of being a living witness holy, broken, and beautiful in our messiness and in what we're called to be in the city where we are, right here in Chicago for us. So last week, we sprung off of Ephesians uh, chapter 2, talking about what it means to be members of this household of God, built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, those who went before us, right? But with Jesus Christ as our cornerstone. In him, this whole building is joined together. And because of this, we become a holy temple of the Lord. And we talked about that identity with cornerstone language to remind us this is how God plans to be present in the world around us right now. Built up with Jesus as the cornerstone. So all that we do, the center of what we're doing is to make much of Jesus. And it's through the Holy Spirit because of Jesus that we get to be the temple presence of God in our world now. That's how we're able to say that lofty statement that we long to join with God in the renewal of all things. That's a pretty big statement. But what that's saying is like, hey, we know and we live into the identity that God's plan is to be present in this world through God's people. And that's us. That's our identity as the church. And so we started from that place. This week, we're talking about this mission of the church because of it. So going from our identity now into like, what is it that we do as church? Again, this may be Missio Dei language, but regardless of which church you are a part of, what do you do? Our language says making disciples of Jesus neighborhood by neighborhood. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the neighborhood by neighborhood part, but to say this, the mission of the church is for all of us. Not just for clergy, not just for missionaries who are out in some mission field language like that. It's not that. It's every one of us representing God's justice and mercy and love in our neighborhood. Wherever you're plopped down. Me, I'm in a six-unit building. I have neighbors really close by. That's my mission field. Where your cubicle is. Who are your cubicle neighbor? That's a mission field, wherever you are. So that's what the neighborhood by neighborhood part. Wherever your pockets are, that's where you get to partake in the mission of God to be present and making disciples of Jesus. So the scripture reading from today, again, rooting in this cornerstone language around Jesus, is 1 Peter 2, 4 through 8. Carrie read it during our first part of worship, but I wanted to use a different translation just to keep this fresh. I'm going to use the message translation, which is Eugene Peterson's uh, kind of paraphrase to take biblical words and put them into uh, language that we might hear more today. And that message version says this, Welcome to the living stone, the source of life. The workmen took one look and they threw it out. God set it in the place of honor. Present yourself as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary vibrant with life. That's basing that like that holy temple in our lives together language again, right? In which you'll serve as holy priests offering Christ approved lives up to God. The scriptures provide precedent. Look, I'm setting a stone in Zion, a cornerstone in the place of honor. Whoever trusts in this stone as a foundation will never have cause to regret it. But to you who trust him, he's a stone to be proud of. 
For to those who refuse to trust him, the stone the workman threw out is now the chief foundation stone. For the trusting, uh, excuse me, for the untrusting, it's a stone to trip over, a boulder blocking the way. They trip and fall because they refuse to obey as predicted. But you are ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work. So this gets away from um, identity per se and into what that calling means. What's the mission that pours out of this identity? Chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference God made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. So this is where this identity piece comes to be. Like, what does that mean? Like, how do we react to that? We talk about it in the way that here, Peter says, you have a high calling of priestly work. Well, that sounds a little daunting too, but what's that priestly work? Tell others. Just tell others. Tell it with your words. Tell it with your life. You're God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him. And so this is still, with Christ as the cornerstone, becoming these living witnesses. So we operate, therefore, as what uh, this passage would call a priesthood of believer, whatever church you're a part of, in making disciples of Jesus. Now, again, when we hear that language, it sounds really daunting because it sounds like language where you're going to need to be doing a lot of teaching, probably need to know a lot of answers, or maybe you think, wait, the person I know about who made disciples was Jesus Christ. That's not a calling I can match to make disciples as well. But like we said to the parents this morning, you guys, this is, this is the stuff we do in our real broken everyday lives. You don't have to have all the answers. How you live is your witness to people around you. How we engage with God in our prayers, how we ask questions in community with one another, all that stuff, how we, how we go to the Bible to try to learn from the Lord, all of that, learn God's promises, learn God's character, all that stuff we do, that's our living witness. And this is what it means to be the priesthood of believers with Jesus as our cornerstone. So the idea for us here today, in short, my, my hope is that we could kind of demystify or maybe simplify what it means to make disciples. And we're going to do that by looking at the example of Jesus. We have the, I have this great book um, that uh, we've been, like last year we were in Acts, the book of Acts a lot. This year we're a lot in Luke. Both of those are back-to-back uh, books of the Bible that were written by the same author, Luke. And um, this Luke, Luke Timothy Johnson, wrote a book called Prophetic Jesus, Prophetic Church. And it really casts this beautiful, convicting picture of what this means, what what this this role of Jesus means and how it blows, blows the top off of just like going through the motions of church life together, if we really look at the example of Jesus. So I'm taking a little portion um, from from this book that we're going to focus in on today. He says this, Jesus teaches constantly on the road. First to the crowds, he issues summons to discipleship. So that's when there's a bunch of people and he says, come, follow me. So first he offers the summons to discipleship. Once they choose to join with this Jesus as the prophet, he teaches them along the way, right? He teaches them explicitly the demands of this discipleship in terms of prayer, the use of possessions and power, and perseverance. So this is one way that this author summarizes the teaching of Jesus to those who have chosen to follow him. 
But he goes on and he says this, but Simeon had prophesied that Jesus would be a sign of contradiction for the fall and rise of many in Israel in Luke 2, 34. And as the prophet Jesus makes his way to death, many do reject his message, as many reject it as accept it. So we're gonna get back to that second part of the quote, but I wanna focus on the first part. First, Jesus gives a call. Come on, follow me. Learn from my ways. I think of that passage where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. The burden I give you is light. But how do you do that? You follow me. You join with me and enter into these rhythms of grace that I'll teach you that we were talked about towards the beginning of this year. Enter in and learn. And then as they come and choose to follow, he teaches again along the way about prayer, the use of possessions and power, and perseverance. Now, all we're doing throughout all of Luke, we're going to be spending so much time. There's so much to learn about the way of Jesus. And we're gonna be spending a lot of our time doing it. So I'm just using these as a way to sort of simplify um, what what we wanna be talking about today. If we wanna simplify, demystify this call to discipleship, how do we do that? So first, discipleship isn't really a word that we use a lot outside of knowing about the disciples of Jesus, right? But this was a relationship that was known in this culture. You would become the disciple or the follower of like a rabbi or a teacher or a philosopher. If you were outside of the nation of Israel, that you would have, you would, they would call you. And if you said yes, you would be their disciple. It was a, it was a relationship that was known. So the relationship assumed the development of a sustained commitment of the disciple to the master and to the master's particular teaching or mission. And the relationship extended to imitation of the conduct of the master. So that's the part I want us to see here today as it impacted the personal life of the disciple. So I I read a lot of books and scholars and I learn from a lot of people, but the discipleship relationship is different than that. It's more than learning from the wisdom of somebody. It's imitating the actions. The closest thing I could think of in our culture today that has this sort of language to it is if anyone does yoga, I wish I did more. It would be good for me if I did. But like, I don't know if you know, like a yoga, you learn from a certain master, a certain style of yoga if you want to become an instructor. So it's more than knowledge. And then you go and you teach that school, that that kind of yoga. And so you would maybe learn from someone. So it's not just the head knowledge again, but the practice and the style of the particular school that's based off of a teacher. So whichever school you're trained in, it comes out, not just in your words, but in your actions. And so that's what we're seeing in this idea of discipleship. It trains the person following both in word and in deed or in in action. We see this in the gospels, right? Sometimes Jesus teaches with words. He stops. Sometimes he preaches a sermon. Sometimes he teaches with analogies or parables along the way, with stories. That's a stop and teach moment. Those happen. Sometimes Jesus is teaching through actions, the way he treats somebody, where where, uh, he heals or reaches out and touches. So his actions or what he does in his own life. All of these things, now think about it, being a disciple who's following on this path, not with books and stuff to learn from, but you're just following the path, you're watching, you're listening, and you start to act and speak more and more like the master who you follow. So if we as a church, any church, really are 
making this true, that we are focused on making much of Jesus, that's because we want our words and actions to do the same thing. That's what we aim to do. We were aimed to learn from Jesus, follow Jesus, connect with Jesus through prayer, scripture, communion. All of these things are to be shaped as people who follow Jesus and with time act and sound more and more like Jesus in little bits, one degree of glory to another, right? Little bits, more and more. So learning to, about discipleship to, to follow Jesus is never going to be summarized into one sermon. But I'm going to use Johnson's quote here as a starting point to simplify the call to discipleship. One of the books I read, there's a, a this Christopher Wright. Um, I can't remember his middle initials. Sorry, I didn't bring this book. It's this whole wonderful book about, all about God's mission and how we the church are the mission, how that what matters and how we engage with the earth, with each other, with history, all of it. It's really a good book. But there's this one piece when I read through it, I just circled it in the book. He says this, the world will see no reason to pay attention to our claims about our invisible God if it sees no visible difference between the lives of those who make such claims and those who don't. We're the visible difference that becomes discipleship. That becomes a training ground. Oh, look, I wrote it down. Christopher J.H. Wright is his, is his name. So I want to honor that. Um, so let's go back to Johnson's quote. What does it mean if we simplify this big concept using these categories? Prayer, use of possessions and power, and perseverance. Because again, Jesus called people, follow me, and then was teaching them in these categories as they went. So first of all, prayer. We did a whole series last summer on prayer. So if this is an area where you want to learn more, we, um, we have a whole lot of resources. We'd love to talk about prayer. Prayer life can be weird. And I'll tell you this. I have no data to back this up. But anecdotally, I'll just tell you that if I were to say out of every 10 people I talked to, 10 of them had their prayer life suffer during COVID. I mean, if you can do it, take a fraction of a person, I might say 9.5, but like literally I think it's every single person. Prayer is hard. And the last few years I have found that a lot of people experience dryness and because of that I know a lot of people started to give up in this category. And there's no shame in that at all. But I wanna call you guys back to the mark of being people of prayer. There is so much power in this category. Jesus taught on prayer through words, right? The disciples watched him praying and they're like, hey, teach us to do that. They would have been prayer people their whole life. They were faithful Jews, but they saw something in the way of Jesus and asked for teaching on prayer. So we have teachings like the Lord's Prayer, some of Jesus's parables, but he also taught in action. We have gospel recorded moments of Jesus praying over the children, praying over meals, interceding over Peter. Even when he knew Peter was about to fail, he prayed for Peter's faith. So we said prayers of intercession. So we see these uh, kinds of teaching, but also we see Jesus praying. The gospels record multiple times that Jesus went away from the hustle and bustle. He went away from the crowds and he prayed. He prayed for long stretches of time. Jesus was a person of prayer himself. There's no one way to pray. A lot of times in my own life when I found prayer to become hardest for me, for whatever reason, it's just there are seasons when it's harder. I actually have learned to lean in to silent prayer, 
just practicing presence, as uh, Brother Lawrence would call it, of God. When I just feel like I don't have any words, this conversation's going nowhere, God. Like there's even silent prayer. There's so many ways to pray. So there's speaking, speaking praise, gratitude, speaking requests. There's also listening, just being quiet. And then there's also just being present. There's just a prayer of being that's a beautiful way too. And so uh, I love Rich Velotis uh, is a pastor and author, and I love what he says about prayer. He says this, whenever I hear people being recognized as spiritual masters or masters of prayer, I don't think of them as people who have some kind of secret sauce that makes their prayer life extraordinary. I think of them as people who've determined day in and day out to return to the simple act of being with God. Like with most of our closest relationships, even in the ordinary moments, shared presence is a gift. And so if you are one of the 10 out of 10, maybe you get to be one of the extraordinary exceptions. I I hope you are, that prayer has not been hard for you at all. Like that's beautiful. We'd love to hear your story and your witness and we hold faith and hope because of stories like yours that let us know that prayer life, yes, can be rich again. But for those of us who have had a hard time in our own prayer life lately, I would just say, it's it just shared presence, and it matters. It matters to the heart of God. It matters so much, and there's power in prayer. I love E.M. Bounds says this. If you're feeling like, I don't, I'm stuck, and I don't know where to go, E.M. Bounds says, praying is the best school in which to learn prayer. Prayer is the best dictionary to define the art and nature of praying. So if this is an area of struggle for you, you guys, I just want to remind you, as the church, we are called to be people of prayer, and I would love, love, love to just talk about it with you, because I know I go through really hard seasons as well, and I feel like that's the kind of thing that we talk about together, and we learn together, um, and we try together. I have some really exciting process going on right now where we're about to open up. There's a, if the door was up, You guys been here when that's up? There's a whole room back there. And then way up there, we have an upper room that's being designed and refinished right now as a place of prayer for the whole week. Come midweek. Let's get you into a place of prayer where you can get away from regular life if you need to to do that. Um, Anyway, so the prayer, first of all, remember, as a disciple now we're talking about, we learn from watching Jesus pray, from his words about prayer, and we see that this is a gift ability to commune with God that Jesus partook in and we get to do the same so that's a big piece of what Jesus teaches the disciples it's a relational gift the next thing Jesus teaches of course is the use of power and possessions now this is an interesting one because uh, if you read through scriptures you'll know Jesus didn't have a lot of material possessions They wandered around. They accepted the meals and hospitalities of others. He was not somebody who had a lot of resources in the material realm to give away. But what we do see in Jesus' use of power and possessions, of course, is that he had, he was, uh, Jesus at the baptism, we see Jesus anointed by the Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus was operating with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus was touching, there was healing. Jesus used, the way that Jesus used power and possessions was a, was a self-giving act. It was an outpouring of self for the benefit of others. And so, of course, what we see Jesus doing is what we see God doing. So we see honor going to being, uh, who was invited to his table to eat with him? Sinners, people who were sick who needed a doctor, not the people who had it all together. Their culture was one of honor and shame. That was the social currency of the time. Our social currency, many would say, is uh, or were relevance 
culture, right? And so like you, you, would, you would know that language, you know, what's how your platform is, if you are the most relevant in your field. So this, this culture was rooted differently. It was all about like honor and shame. So what do we look at? Where does Jesus give honor? Where does he elevate people that society would say, we have no time for you. You are a leper. You are a sinner. You are a woman. You are a tax collector. You are a Gentile. Whatever it is, all of this that people would say, oh my gosh, no time for this. Who is Jesus stopping for? Making time for? Not only offering distant healing, but putting his hands on the flesh of somebody who is ritualistically unclean and making them whole again, not just physically, but relationally, back into culture, giving healing, all of this. We see Jesus as one who spends power, possessions, not just spending, but to elevate, to elevate others and to let them know that they are valued. They matter in God's economy no matter what the social context said. So we would be hearing these words, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Jesus was teaching it, but he was acting on it. His actions demonstrated, and the disciples saw, and they followed. They followed suit, and that's countercultural, and that is the mark of how God intercedes in the world today is through the disciples of Jesus who are willing to spend influence, power, and resources to do the same as disciples of Jesus. And then lastly, we see perseverance. Jesus, of course, demonstrated the ultimate perseverance, even to the cross. Perseverance through all of the awful and the mocking and the rejection and all of it. But the disciples were being taught perseverance to not give up because sometimes the road really was hard. But the author and perfecter of their faith had gone before them as Jesus' self and taught them not to be deterred. Because God's story, God's desire for kingdom to inbreak into regular moments, that greater story was going on. And so Jesus not only called in word, but in action to persevere. And this endurance includes the fact, and the, remind, the remainder of our passage reminds us, that there will be moments where stumbling or just tripping over the boulder that's in the way, like that's the temptation, right? But to endure that, when not to stumble when the way of Jesus feels hard. Going back to the second part of Johnson's quote, remember he says, but Simeon had prophesied Jesus would be a sign um, of contradiction for the fall and rise of many. Do you remember that? So that was um, when uh, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple uh, as recorded in Luke chapter two. This man uh, who served as a prophet in the temple like looked at baby Jesus and knew like this is the one, this is the promised Messiah. And in that prophecy, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, Jesus's mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. It's speaking to Mary about like, this is gonna be a hard path, mama, you know? Well, we see that in the passage that we're talking about today, this, uh, the message of this, this cornerstone that even throughout the Old Testament, these promises of a cornerstone, of God placing a cornerstone included that to some, this would be the stumbling block. This would be the one, the very one who was destined to be the cornerstone, the foundation of all we do, Jesus, God's son with us, for us and among us. This truth, 
meant to be the cornerstone of all we do would cause many to stumble. And Jesus knew this in uh, Matthew 21, 42. He quoted this cornerstone prophecy himself and said that many would stumble. Like he knew that rejection was part of the path. He knew some would reject and stumble, even though his prophetic role was to persevere and to continue forward. And so this is the path to say like, man, sometimes this path of discipleship, it goes against your comfort. It comes at the cost of maybe material possessions, but maybe of spending some of your your space in the world to honor and lift up somebody else. That stuff comes at a cost sometimes. And some will stumble, but Jesus taught his disciples, like, we can persevere because the one who is in us, the Holy Spirit of God, is greater than the one who's in the world. Like, we have all it takes to persevere. But these are the calls that Jesus gave to his disciples as they went, they learned. So what does that mean for us making disciples of Jesus in our little neighborhood spots where we're plunked? It means living a life that's marked by these same marks, similar to Jesus. Be marked as Jesus was marked. Because in that way, Jesus is made much of, not us. We aren't the center of the discipleship story at all, like Jesus is. And this way of Jesus living is kingdom living. And that's how God's presence gets to break into the little pockets. I thought this morning as, uh, or I thought this week as I was thinking about this morning, like what, how do you simplify such a huge call as this? Especially when we're acknowledging in this series that we are a wholly broken mess and churches do stumble. We all see the news, ministries, people doing things that they think and they say are in God's name that you take one look at, look at the history books and you know that that's not way of God. We've done this. I'm not denying the history that the church has messed up and the church has hurt people. And if you are somebody who's been hurt by the church, I truly say, I, if, are my heart's broken. I'm sorry collectively on behalf of the people of God, but God's heart is broken as well when that happens. God weeps with those who have been hurt at the hands of those who profess to love and follow after Christ Jesus. We long to be a place of healing and wholeness in those stories. But what does this look like to say like, okay, if we're doing this and you're telling me right now, Melissa, it's going to get messy and we're doing real life. We're going to step on each other's toes. If this is the truth of holy broken church, how do we go about making disciples? And we just keep after the way of Jesus. We keep after keeping Jesus at the center and not platforms, not relevance. We keep Jesus at the center of what we do and what we say. And that's the stuff that makes a difference because that's where healing comes in Jesus' name by the power of the spirit, not by us. We're the vessels. We get to be a part of this, but not the agent of it, if that makes sense. So like a part of it, but not the core of it. So when I thought, again, uh, this week about this morning, I thought, like, what is it, Jesus, that you need us to just hear this morning? And a call as big as like, hey, you know what we should do? We should be disciples who make disciples. Oh, that's all. Like, let's do that. Okay, that kind of feels big. What is it we need to do? And there were two words that came to my heart that I'm just going to faithfully hand out to you because I believe that this is what we need to take away from today. Number one is to be people of presence. And number two is to be people of expectancy. And I'll end with these. Number one, I think that in our culture of relevancy, I know one of my temptations is to always be in our minds one to four moments ahead of where we are. We aren't good at waiting in line and talking to the person next to us and being where we are. Maybe we're having a conversation at a party and we're already thinking about what we're supposed to go say or see next or something. We 
often are in our minds, not in the moment that we're in in real time. So I would say this, one call of a disciple, think about those moments just walking one step after the other with no cell phone following after the way of Jesus. That's how the disciples were learning. We need to be people who are willing to set down our distractions long enough to be present in the moment where we are in. Why? Because we also want to be people of expectancy. We believe that God is still working in this world and God's way of working in this world is through the Holy Spirit who is with us in us and through us. And so if we are to be people, kingdom-minded people, we need to not lose the expectancy that God has not given up on in-breaking moments that really do matter in real people's lives. Voices that need to be heard, healing that needs to happen beyond physical sometimes. Yes, that too, but beyond that. We want to be expectant that we are going to be participants in this greater story. Because this is God's plan for the bride of Christ right now. And we want to be people who are present and expectant into the little pockets where God has placed us. Today, Thursday afternoon, whenever it is, to be aware, to be present, and to be expectant of all that God's doing. Amen? Jesus, I uh, just lift this morning up to you and say that um, I confess sometimes uh, we fail to keep you at the center of all things. We fail to acknowledge you as the cornerstone, the reason we gather, the way in which we gather through the Spirit, all of it. So God, forgive us. Help us to help each other, to hold one another accountable to this path that we're on together, and to be people who are willing to slow down, to be present, and to be expectant, Lord, that you have so much beauty in your heart for this world. I believe you do. Help us to be expectant that we get to be um, people who partake in little inbreaking moments in the world around us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.